0: This is an MPB Think Radio podcast.
1: Hi, I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, professor of internal medicine and pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. On the original Southern Remedy, we answer questions about all aspects of your health and share some of the latest medical information in the news. You can listen to the show on
2: Wednesdays at 11 on MPB Think Radio, or you can subscribe to the podcast by searching for
1: Southern Remedy on your preferred podcasting app.
2: From MPB Think Radio, this is Creature Comfort. It's the show all about your animals and the animals around you. I'm Kevin Farrell, here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson, and Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. Bird flu, often also known as avian influenza, is a highly contagious viral disease that primarily affects birds. In January of 2022, Mississippi reported its first case of bird flu in a commercial poultry flock and has had several other reported cases as recently as February of this year. So joining us today is Dr. Jim Watson from the Mississippi Board of Animal Health and the State Veterinarian to talk about this hot topic and how state residents can help stop the spread of bird flu. Dr. Majors here, always ready for your pet questions, and Libby likes to hear your encounters with nature. You can email animals at mpbonline.org. And if you happen to miss Creature Comforts on Thursday, you can catch a repeat broadcast every Saturday morning at 6. So good morning, uh, Libby. We were chatting right before we came on the air uh, with that we wanted to remind folks about the Fossil Road Show that takes place at the Museum of Natural Science this Saturday, March 4th, from 10 to 4. Uh, But you said there's a a bird-watching event going on Saturday as well. Tell us about that. Yes,
3: just outside the um, uh, Fossil Road Show at 8 o'clock, and actually we'll meet over at the Mays Lake, Area of of um, La Bluff State Park, but uh, we're having a, a bird walk from. We say eight to ten thirty, but if um. If we're seeing lots of birds, we won't leave. So it, it, that'll go on for a while and then probably plans to go over to the Fossil Road Show. So if you're want, if you interested in getting in on the bird walk, come to about 8 o'clock to the Mays Lake entrance of LaFleur's Bluff State Park. And it's Jackson Audubon Society sponsoring the walk.
2: Uh, speaking of birds, we've uh, had a, someone who left a, a message wanting to know... Where are the bluebirds? Is it this time of year that they're out and about already? or?
3: Yes, yes. We've seen bluebirds passing through. Unfortunately, I've got two boxes that are almost always bluebird nests, and uh, they, some bluebirds checked them out. You know that a couple of years ago when we had that bad cold spell for so long, we lost a lot of bluebirds to that, and... Um, are not seeing as many in both of my houses that are usually bluebirds or chickadees hmm this morning they fussed at me as i went to the car so they um i I, am not afraid i'm not going to have any bluebirds but i've then i have heard other people that say yes they have bluebirds that are checking out all their boxes so yes this is the time if you want to put up any new boxes for bluebirds do it right away because this is when they're selecting and everybody's starting to look for nest boxes
2: and I think we 've mentioned this with birds before, but if if you 're not seeing them in your yard don 't give up on whatever you would normally do to attract them because that still might they might stumble upon your area and, and yeah, you and need to be ready for them
3: right now there 's a lot of natural food, so um, you may not have to worry so much about bird feeding unless you just really want to um, My flocks of goldfinches and purple finches have left the feeders and, um, I think, heading for their breeding grounds north of here. And some goldfinches nest around. I've got a neighbor that's just what, maybe two miles away, and she had nesting goldfinch last year. So we're right on the line of whether or not they'll migrate out or nest. They've been here all winter. So, uh, you know, that's kind of iffy. But uh, they're, they're starting to depend on natural foods anyway. And then um, as more migrants come through, so many of those are um, summer seed eaters and, and can benefit from a stop at a bird feeder. But many of the, the warblers and things, they're going to be looking for insects. So it's important that you have your native plants in your yard.
2: This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. As always, Dr. Troy Major joining from uh, his clinic in Jackson. Uh, Dr. Major, here's a pet question for you. A bit lengthy, but we'll be able to deal with it. Uh, It says, my daughter has a cat that's about three to four years old now. She got him as a kitten and spoiled him to being an inside cat. Well, my son's moved back home, and he brought a stray cat that's been with us for about nine months. But the cat is much bigger and fatter than my daughter's cat. Kind of reminds me of a Garfield cat. Not sure the cat would like that, but okay. <clears throat> Whatever they get outside, you can hear them growling at each other really loud and bad. I'm wondering if the cat that my son brought could be trying to claim territory from my daughter's cats, who's the older cat. Neither cat has been neutered. Any thoughts on that?
4: Wow. You know, that leaves a lot
2: of territory there.
4: And I take it these cats are inside-outside cats. Is that kind of what you feel from that? What you just read.
2: Yes. Yeah. They oh. um, <clears throat> Because when they go outside is when they notice the, yeah. the two growling at each other.
4: Right. First of all, you know, they should be neutered. I, I'm not sure if they're males or females. Uh, that could be part of the problem. But I suspect that you're right or that they're right, that this may be a dominance thing with the new cat. And certainly being larger and everything, I could see how it could be a problem. Uh very difficult a lot of times to get cats to cooperate and get along, especially when there's an intruder, if you will. One thing I will mention that uh, people need to be aware of, when they bring in a stray cat or another cat that they're not that they're uh, not sure of, always wise to have them tested for feline leukemia and feline immunodeficiency uh, virus or feline AIDS, because that that is important, especially if a stray is brought into a household.
2: All right, here's another one, and this one Libby might be able to comment to as well, <clears throat> but it says we have two cats and two dogs. They're inside-outside pets, but mostly inside. I've noticed every time I let our cat out at night, something strange would make a weird sound in the woods I've never heard before. But now I noticed the other night the sound was coming closer from out of the woods. My dog kept barking, so I stood still and waited until it came out of the woods, and it turned out to be a fox that seemed to be getting pretty comfortable to be coming closer to our land and closer to our home. Any suggestions on what should be done? Is it safe to let it get that close, or should we try to run it off or scare it away?
3: Uh, Personally, I like to see the foxes, so I I am glad when I see them come close to my house. And they're not very afraid of people. They're probably just making a notice. um, You know, cats can go outside and hunt at night, and they... Hunt birds, they hunt a lot of things, and they can be a real problem for uh a fox's babies, the little kits so uh the fox is probably making a sound to just warn everybody else the cat's out, and they all probably are aware that the cat comes and goes but So, I don't see the fox as a problem, but you should never feed the fox, then it can become a problem. You don't want it to compete with your cat in any way; you don't want to leave cat food outside. And I think most people know that. Troy and I have both talked about that, that it's, it's really right. not good to leave that food out overnight. Right, Troy? So, yes. Um, one, thing,
4: one thing people need to be aware of, that, uh, you know, everybody thinks cats are great, uh, nine lives and all that. But I'll assure you that more things happen to cats at night than during the daytime. They get into trouble. They get into cat fights. And certainly they could have a confrontation with the fox. So I recommend keeping cats in at night, let them out in the day if you're going to let them out. But nighttime
2: uh, could be a problem. So um, if they would try to, would, would this be something where you know the the uh, critter catcher would be, and would that be something would, to get the fox, or is it this? They these people might need to learn to live with the fox being there.
3: Uh, yeah, and they can do things to discourage it. Surely, I, yeah. I should have finished that. I guess it, it's you know you don't you know obviously you're not don't shoot the fox or anything like that but yeah you can do things that would discourage it from coming to the house and by not leaving yeah, food don't. out it's going to make it's going to cut a wide berth around wherever you are and um you know there's certainly no danger to people at all and don't you could hire a yeah. cre- creature catcher to move it if you wanted to but it's you know it's I imagine there's some good natural habitat close by or it wouldn't be there
2: uh, but yeah i'd like to reiterate because we talk about this with wild animals all the time is do not leave food out because every every animal has to eat and so if if an animal sees an easy source for food it's going to be more liable to come back and be attracted to the area
3: Yet it always <laughs> promotes a little competition when you have food outside for animals and that's not a good thing all
2: right. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, Libby Hartfield, and our guest for this hour is Dr. Jim Watson, the state veterinarian. Join the conversation with your phone call. The number is one mpb ring It's one 672 7464 You can email the show by sending it to animals at mpbonline.org. So, Dr. Watson, thanks for being with us today. Before we get into the topic of the bird flu, if you would, give us an idea of the role of the Mississippi Board of Animal Health and some of the things that you do as state veterinarian.
1: Well, thank you for having me, and good morning, everyone. Um, The Board of Animal Health, our role is helping control disease and helping put out information about various diseases, whether it's livestock, poultry, You know, dealing with rabies prevention, you know, a wide range of things. Uh, With poultry, and in particular with what we're talking about today, avian influenza, part of our role is to work especially with commercial poultry companies to control the disease because it's a a hugely devastating disease. But also within that, uh, we work with backyard. Uh, producers, because um, the disease can move between commercial and backyard, and it 's such a devastating uh, disease um, and so we we give advice about biosecurity, how to control it, but actually even more than that, with this particular disease, by law, there are some regulations, and so we actually use quarantines and very um, uh, strong measures such as depopulating the whole flock to stop the spread of disease and I can go into some more of that if you like, but it, it's uh, doing the kinds of things that are necessary to stop the spread of a very devastating economically uh, and to the life of the of the poultry uh, and, and stop that disease from spreading.
2: So is influenza in these birds similar to what it would be in humans? I mean, not that it can be transmitted or whether, but it's, are, is it a similar type of disease for birds as it is for
1: humans? Yes. Fortunately, this strain does not affect humans. uh, But the effect on the birds and in people is widely variable depending on the strain. And so there are strains that are deadly and there are strains that just make you have the sniffles and feel bad. So this disease in poultry that we're dealing with now is called highly pathogenic avian influenza. What that means is it kills the birds. There is there's a 99.9% mortality rate. So once these birds get sick, they're, so in that respect, it's not like people. Mm-hmm. Uh, this particular strain has been circulating the world uh, for about 10 years and has finally made it uh, to North America. Um, and so it, it's very deadly. It's very contagious. And so that's why we take such aggressive and stringent measures to, to control it.
2: Uh, do the birds exhibit symptoms when they have the bird flu or, is, or or there's some sort of
1: testing needs to be done it's primarily testing because what happens is depending on the species, whether it 's a goose, a chicken uh, a turkey, or whatever they some of them show neurological signs they 'll turn their heads and kind of walk sideways and like they're drunk, or typically this disease is so um, pathogenic that it don't The birds are only sick for a day or so, so most people only notice that their birds are just feel bad. They're just sitting there. They're not really moving. Maybe they're quivering and shaking, and then the next morning they're dead. And this death multiplies rapidly. And so you may have two dead today, 10 dead tomorrow, 40 dead the next day, thousands. It it multiplies rapidly like that. Uh, So it affects all different types of birds? It affects many species of of birds. Um, The way the disease sort of works in nature is this is a a disease that's carried normally by ducks, migratory waterfowl. And for the most part, ducks don't really get sick. Some of them do and die, but in large part... They're happy and healthy and flying up and down our our flyways along the Mississippi River. There's five or six flyways of ducks in the United States. And so as they land and move around, this virus in ducks lives in their intestinal tract. And so as they go to the bathroom, they leave us virus all over the landscape. Geese, turkeys, chickens, pheasant, uh, a a fair number of uh, wild birds— get affected and die from it. And then what happens is that our birds of prey feed on those. And so this is we've had a very unusual uh, effect in this outbreak that's been going on in the United States now for a little over a year in that we've seen uh, bald eagles because they will prey on the sick carcasses of geese or some of these others, um, um, owls, uh, um, hawks. And recently, this year, for the first time that I've ever really heard of this, large numbers of vultures are being impacted. We have uh, had um, reports of hundreds of dead vultures in an area. And what happens is a vulture will feed on a carcass that's sick and has died. They fly back to their roost. They get sick and die. And I didn't realize it until recently, but vultures feed on each other. And so they will come and feed on that dead vulture, and then it just spreads within that roost. And so, um, and also another interesting um, factor in this outbreak is that small mammals who are also predators, some of our fox, mink, uh, there's about a dozen smaller mammals that are feeding on some of these animals and are also dying, not because they can necessarily get it and transmit it to other animals, but the virus load is so high that these small mammals can actually be affected as well.
2: So you mentioned that bird flu doesn't affect humans, but what,
1: what would someone do if they think that they've come in contact with a bird that was infected? So what we advise people to do, Um, is if they find for example we we get reports of dead geese vultures different birds and there's a program so the first thing we want people to do is to is to if they handle it to make sure they take precautions wash hands and not handle dead birds of any kind really because there are a lot of other diseases out there without gloves some sort of protective equipment Um, and so we We work with USDA Wildlife Services and Chris Godwin and her folks. And so when we find – when the public finds numbers of geese, um, vultures, dead hawks or or, um, eagles, they go collect and and they take those uh, birds to our diagnostic lab and we do testing on them to determine is it avian influenza or something else. So a couple of things – To circle back around to your question. Number one is take care, especially if you have any contact with with chickens or other birds, because it's highly contagious. So if you do pick it up, put it in a garbage bag, uh, and then clean the outside of that bag, wash your hands, you know, to prevent the spread of that virus. And then, Particularly, we we talk to people a lot about how, you know, so many people now like to have backyard chickens because they want eggs, they like the birds, they like, you know, for lots of reasons, a lot of people have backyard chickens. So um, this disease is, is really dangerous because, like I said, if it gets in there recently in Kapai County, an individual um, lost about two-thirds. They had a, about 70 or 80 ducks, uh, 50 or 60 chickens, some turkeys and geese in their yard. A vulture came, died, turned out to be positive, and he lost two-thirds of all of his backyard birds. So uh, we want people to, if you do handle those dead birds, um, do it in a way that you wash your hands, change clothes, so you you're not tracking that back into where you have chickens and transmit because that disease can live that virus lives for hours on your clothing on your shoes and so you can easily carry that in into your chicken coop and expose your chickens so we've been primarily so far been
2: talking about uh, the the influenza in in wild birds but this is has an economic impact when it begins to connect uh, affect commercial poultry operations i guess
1: Yeah, and that's so that's a really uh, sad thing when that happens because uh, it it kills thousands and thousands of the chickens in the chicken house, and so it has a a huge impact on the farmer, obviously the impact on the on the number of birds that die. And so in order to control that disease, we have to go in and we depopulate, we humanely euthanize or depopulate those animals because it's just going to continue to spread. And, and so it's devastating. We've had two commercial farms. And so it's devastating to the large number of animals that are killed by this disease. It's devastating to the grower because they Lose income. It's also devastating to the state because we do a lot of exporting of our poultry products to other parts of the world, and our trade agreements are built on not having in our country. And so now that this disease and and, or in our state, and so now that we have this disease in our state, our companies are not allowed to export poultry product to other parts of the world, and so uh, we. We estimate that uh, it's a little over uh, a million dollars a week uh, to our poultry industry, lost economic income because of lost exports.
2: This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. We're visiting today with Dr. Jim Watson, who is the state veterinarian, and he's helping us learn more about uh, bird flu. Let's uh, take a call. We'll go to Memphis, and Melanie is on the line. Good morning. You're on the air with us, so go ahead, please.
0: So I have a question today for your guests about the bird flu.
2: Okay. Hang on one sec. All right. Um, Go ahead.
0: Okay. So I have a question about the bird flu for your guests. If your um, chickens or your flock gets that, like, and the state or whoever comes and kills the birds, do they help you get started again? Like, can they help you get a new flock, or is that on you?
1: So this is Dr. Watson uh we We have assistance with some things in in cleaning the farm uh the the depopulating the birds to make sure your farm is clean and ready for the um uh, the new birds to come in and we put a farm under quarantine and and make sure that it 's clean and ready but we do not have any financial assistance to to restock now. Uh, With larger farms and and depending on the size of an operation, uh, USDA does have what they call indemnity that reimburses um, a small amount of money to that person for the animals that we have to depopulate or or, uh, – and so depending on on what size, there is a limited amount of money potentially to assist with that. Um, but the state really doesn't have any funds set aside to be able to do that. All okay. right, And Go ahead.
0: Oh, sorry. About how long do you think you have to wait? Like, how long is the quarantine period for your facility?
1: It depends on whether it's a free-ranging backyard flock or you have a chicken coop that we can clean and disinfect. So for example, some folks in the um, Lowndes County area lost some geese, and they were just in their pond and yard, but they were domestic geese. They have to wait four months before they can put animals back. If you're in a chicken coop or a building or a commercial farm, it's about – um, 60 days, 45 to 60 days before you can put birds back in because we can clean and disinfect and get rid of the virus in, inside a building. But if it's just in a pasture or an open backyard, it takes longer uh, to be able to get rid of all the virus. All right, so Melanie, thanks
2: for your call. I wanted to circle around uh, back to something you mentioned um, when we were talking about the, the commercial impact. And you were saying that because the, it's been identified in Mississippi of uh, uh, poultry farmers here cannot export to other countries. Is that ever something that hates an all clear and we might in the future be able to resume that activity?
1: Yes. And so that, that's what the measures that I take as state veterinarian and our Board of Animal Health. So we quarantine the farm. We, there's a, a operational guide, if you will, of steps that we have to take that reassures our trading partners that we are clear again. So we had our first outbreak in November. We had just met the ability in at the end of January to declare ourselves free and to resume uh, exports when a week later, the farm in Leake County came down positive. So now the clock starts over. And so if everything goes well, we don't have any new farms, in about 30 to 45 days from now, we should be able to declare ourselves free again and resume exports again.
2: But again, this is so contagious, you you really, it it needs to be a quick response from the state authorities, I guess.
1: Yes, we, we come in from the time people identify that their birds are dying for an unknown reason, we get the sample to the lab. Within 24 hours or less, usually we'll have a a diagnosis if that's what it is or not. And so our goal is within 24 hours of that diagnosis to have the birds depopulated to immediately stop. So we take very, very aggressive action to try to shut down that virus and, and get the area cleaned up so we can stop that spread to other farms.
2: You're listening to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson, and Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. Our guest in the studio today is Dr. Jim Watson. He's the state veterinarian and uh, with the Mississippi Board of Animal Health. We've been talking about bird flu today. Got some callers to get to, so let's return to the phone lines beginning in Biloxi, and Craig has called in today. Good morning, Craig. Go ahead.
0: Oh, good morning. Uh, you answered one of my questions. Uh, who do we call? Or do we do animal control? Uh, and uh,
4: how do we dispose of dead birds? Is, is it okay to burn them, or should we bury them, or what?
1: The, um, we have a website that has a phone number um a board of if you google mississippi board of animal health to report birds we have a, an online reporting system people that find large numbers of wild birds that are dead um are, or they can call our office and our phone number is on on our website and we will assist in getting those birds to the diagnostic lab for testing disposal uh if you can burial uh is probably preferred for small numbers of you know backyard type birds or Wild birds, if not, uh, we recommend double bagging them in a garbage bag and spraying the outside with Lysol, and then they can go to the landfill. Um, but um, yeah, you could bury them, I mean, uh, burn them, I guess, uh, in a small, uh, on small numbers. Uh, but usually burial or, or to the landfill is kind of how most people uh, dispose of them. Small, small numbers. If we're involved in an outbreak, we do things different. But for if you just find a few dead birds, like this one gentleman had the vulture that died in his backyard that caused the outbreak— and he just kind of took it off in the woods not knowing and, and dropped it at the edge of the woods, then all of his ducks and everything else were going around it. And so had he known what was going on and could have buried that carcass and then tried to clean that area, he could have potentially uh, stopped some of that outbreak. And we have the number of its one eight
2: eight eight six four six eight seven three one. 646 8731 uh, that you would uh, call to report uh, any uh, uh, bird deaths that you've uh, noticed. So, Craig, thanks uh, for your call. Let's uh, stay on the phone lines. Next, we're off to Madison, and uh, Jim's on the line. Good morning, Jim. It's your turn. Go ahead.
4: Hello. Yeah. Um, I have a question. I suppose this is for Libby. Um, I have always had Martin houses. I love Martins, and I always put up a Martin house wherever I live. And this, after this most recent move, I haven't had any Martins, but I noticed some activity on the birdhouse, and they got binoculars out, and much to my surprise, it was—it looked like my favorite bird in the world, a cedar waxwing, and i it was crested, it was light-colored. I definitely saw it nesting, carrying a straw and so forth in there, but uh, I've never heard of such a thing. All the cedar waxwings I see are usually passing by and attacking uh, berry trees, you know, a flurry, but have you heard of such a thing that they nest around here?
3: I have never heard of a cedar waxwing nesting in a box. Um, well, and I've if anybody it. else knows, oh. yeah, I've never heard of that. But now, could it have been a little tufted titmouse? Well, are, that was
4: my friend. Yep. I see those, you know, with the uh, chickadees. Uh, they're all around my house. and Maybe, but it looked like it was too large for that. And it did have some of the little colorings and the tail tips and so forth, but oh uh, I have a you I have pictures. I will send. To, do y'all have an email that I could send the pictures to you?
2: Uh, yeah, Jim. It's uh, animals with an S at mpbonline.org dot org. So if you send in some pictures, we'll make sure Libby gets them, and we'll see if we can't uh, help you identify what you got there. Yeah, yeah, I'll do it, uh,
4: that way. And I, I have a second question uh, also, I guess, for Libby and, you know, they say there are no stupid questions, but this one comes really close. <laughs> <laughs> this is, uh, okay, here it goes. So, you know, I've got hundreds of birds in my yard and I've been a habit bird watcher for years, but I never see dead birds. I know they die. Are our predators that efficient, or why, why isn't our yard littered with dead
3: birds? It's, you know, it's eternal question. I have people ask me that often, and I have asked that question myself. With all the birds in your yard, you would think you— I, Now, I have a couple of times found dead birds, and both times they were covered up with fire ants. And so I do think that yes the the decomposers in our in our um ecosystems are pretty efficient at taking care of that. I don't know if they drop out of the tree at night and are dead and by the time we get up the um uh ants and insects have either moved them, hauled the little pieces away, or what's happened. But it's not a stupid question. It's a very good question. You would think you would see more, wouldn't you? And uh, this doesn't apply, I don't think, to small birds in your yard, but uh, Dr. Watson's been talking about uh, vultures, and we know that vultures are pretty efficient at getting rid of, uh, if you've ever done those observations, it's not nice to see, but if something's been hit along the road, it generally doesn't take very long until it's gone. And um, so that's, and it's a part of the life cycle, a very important part, is that decomposition. And if uh, too many of our vultures die of this disease, that's going to be some kind of a sanitation problem for us all. But luckily, we don't have to deal with that ourselves around our house, because it'd be pretty sad, wouldn't it?
2: All right, uh, Jim. Thanks for your call. Let's uh, stay on the phone lines for one more call, and it is Walker, who is from Carroll County. Good morning, Walker. You're on there with us. Go ahead.
0: Uh, I got you on the speakerphone. Can you hear me? Yeah. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, listen, I was. This is an economic uh, question about the bird flu. Uh, I understand that the price of eggs going up is related to the bird flu epidemic, uh, among other things. But it's odd that while the price of eggs is going up the price of dead chickens that they sell you to to fry up or whatever you're going to do with chickens is going down. And I just can't figure any reason why if bird flu is affecting bird flocks, I mean, I guess there are some chickens that lay eggs and some chickens that just get fat for frying up, Uh, but uh, there wouldn't be any possibility that they're taking the chickens they're having to kill because of the bird flu uh, keeping them from laying eggs and selling them for us to fry up, is it?
1: Uh, no, so uh, this is Dr. Watson. Those are two completely separate industries, and and genetics and types of birds. And so, what's happening is the the egg laying industry has concentrated to the point where in the Midwest, um, there there are facilities that will have three to five million uh, birds per pl- per Per premises where they 're growing eggs because of the uh, the economics of production of table eggs, and so what 's happening is that 's a part of the country uh, that 's being particularly hit in mississippi we 've only had four uh total outbreaks between backyard and commercial, but in in Nebraska and Iowa and Pennsylvania and minnesota they're they're in the dozens and so the table egg industry in that part of the country has been hit, and there are n- numerous multi-million bird facilities that have been hit. And so legitimately, the um, egg-laying industry has been hard hit. Uh, As in 2015, when we had a similar outbreak, turkeys are also very susceptible to this virus. And so many, many turkey farms were affected in 2015, and the price of turkey, the, the availability and the price of turkeys was affected. And so um, I think there's probably some other reasons. It's not totally the outbreak, but definitely the outbreak has hit that uh, large table laying uh, industry very hard, and it has definitely uh, created an impact on the on the price of our eggs.
0: Well, I, I understand what you're saying about the egg egg laying chickens. I mean, it's the price of feed and the price of transportation and the price of labor it all contributes to the fact that the eggs are more expensive. But is the bird flu not affecting the flocks that are being raised for friars?
1: It is, and that's one of the farms we had in Mississippi. But because a very large farm for for friars would be 10 houses of 200 and a total of 200,000 birds, as opposed to one farm of layers, which is three to five million birds. So this, So it's affecting... The same number of farms of chick of of fryer chickens, but it, that impacts far fewer actual chickens. Does that make sense? And so, even though so one farm of fryers may only affect two hundred thousand chickens, one farm of layers is three and a half to five million chickens. And so, the scale of the impact is is much greater.
0: for the egg layers.
1: For the egg layers. That's right.
0: Okay, thank
2: you, sir. Yes, sir. Good call, Walker. You can email the show as well by sending it to animals at Online dot org. Doctor Major, still with us on the line. Doctor Major, have you any encounters with the bird flu in, in your clinic?
4: No, I haven't, uh, unfortunately. And of course, you worry about uh, pet birds that people have, like parrots and uh, that sort of thing. So it would be wise to use. Uh, but, no, I have not seen any, any evidence of uh, bird flu.
3: I have a question about backyard bird keepers. If you've got, you know, four, six hens or so, which I think a lot of people do, if those birds die, and we, you know, it's going to happen pretty quick, right? So they yes. may die before they notice anything to call you. Should they go ahead and call you and get that professional cleaning even if they, it's just wipe them out, and they just they don't just go away and forget it. I'm thinking.
1: Yeah, if, if you have that few a number, it's it's a good idea to call us, and we can talk to you about how to what what steps you need to take. You know, the worst thing to do would be to just run back to tractor supplier or order some more birds, put them back out there, and then have the problem happen again. So, so we, we'd be happy to visit a, <clears throat> a visit about that. You can call that same number that. Um, 888-646-8731 mm-hmm. uh, number.
3: Cuz I'm assuming you've got to do a special procedure for cleaning, right? Yeah, if it's a backyard Literally. unfortunately yeah. they're
1: just running loose in the backyard, there's not a lot we can do. You can't Disinfect grass and soil, but if you keep them in a house in a small coop, then we can talk to you about how to spray that and clean it and, and leave it and Typically, we want to leave it empty for at least thirty days before you would put anything back in there
3: okay and we also have talked about feeding and kind of feeding wild birds if um, if you 've got chickens we 've kind of advised people it yes. might be a good idea not to feed wild birds because it just may complicate it very
1: definitely for for multiple reasons there are several diseases that wild birds carry that your chickens can get and so as we in fact we recently this past week had a train a our veterinary conference and one of the sessions was on uh, veterinarians working with backyard poultry because they don't learn a lot about that necessarily in school and so one of the pictures that the poultry uh, person showed was a picture of a nice coop, uh, chicken coop with a birdhouse right next to it. And so that's kind of one of the worst things you can do because you're attracting wild birds to, to be in an area where your chickens are and they bring cytokosis, chlamydia, uh, mycoplasmas, you know, besides bird flu. So even just the wild bird, not ducks and geese, can bring uh, diseases to your backyard poultry. So if you feed wild birds you need to do that in a completely separate area from where you're trying to keep chickens
2: you're listening to creature comforts on mpb think radio kevin farrell here with dr troy major libby hartfield and our guest for this hour is dr jim watson um we've got a caller on the line but uh jim you know i get my flu shot every year to help prevent getting the flu is there any sort of vaccine available or is there any way to help prevent a bird flu uh, in our bird populations
1: there there are no uh, f- bird flu vaccines available. There are some around the world. But just like in people, the vaccine has to change rapidly based on the exact virus. And so it changes. And so uh, there, there aren't any vaccines. That's why we focus on what we call biosecurity or the things that you need to do to keep Uh, The disease out of your poultry. So if you have backyard birds and you go to Tractor Supply or some other place where there are a lot of other people that have chickens, uh, not only for bird flu, but just for diseases in general, uh, don't just go and go in your backyard and go walk into the chicken coop to feed your chickens. We want people to to either change their shoes at a very minimum but even change clothes because lots of other diseases can be on your clothing just from being in an environment where there are a lot of people you don't even have to be around other people's animals and very definitely if you visit a friend that has backyard poultry before you go and and come in contact with yours uh, you need to change clothes put new shoes on wash your hands uh um, to, to keep from transmitting that disease uh, because we don't have vaccines. So we have to take the precautions that we can to not transmit disease.
3: And while we were on break, we mentioned that um, those of us that like to feed our backyard birds need to be very careful and need to think about what you're doing. Uh, don't feed anywhere close to um, poultry to if you if you've got egg laying chickens and you're also um, feeding your wild birds uh, don't do it anywhere close together and this is a time to be particularly clean all the time we need to be careful because there are other diseases that bird feeders can promote if they're not kept clean and you need to be mindful of the area underneath your bird feeders and because yeah. disease can certainly build up there, and just you know, use some common sense about keeping everything clean when you're feeding birds.
2: Let's get uh, one last call in for this hour. It's uh, Ray Lonnie's called in from Hattiesburg. You're on there with us uh, You're on the air with us. Go ahead.
0: Good morning. Morning. I. What relationship is there?
4: Um, the bird flu. What? What's the relationship to? What is it? H two n one or that type of uh, virus,
1: or is it the same? The That H and N that you're mentioning, that's how we designate types of influenza viruses. This particular okay. one that's affecting poultry right now is called an H5N1, but there are a lot of H numbers and a lot of N numbers, and they can yeah. – so, so influenza viruses have – Within that family of viruses, it could be H1N2, or you know, the H5 and the H7s are the ones that particularly are, are um, uh, damaging or deadly to, to poultry, and those are the two primary. So it could be an H5N1 or an H7N1. This what you're hearing though. This particular virus, H5N1, is an that's how we designate the influenza
3: uh, virus. So they are all related, related to some extent. Right? Yes. Uh-huh.
4: So are they related to the COVID also?
1: No, that's a uh, that's a completely different. You're talking about the COVID virus. Yeah, those are coronaviruses, and coronaviruses and in, avian influenza viruses are are two different. You could different different things. they they're totally unrelated.
4: Not, not in the H N family at all.
1: No, ma'am. they're they 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 have different designations. Coronaviruses are designated different differently than the way we designate influenza viruses. All right,
2: Rilani, thanks for your call. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. We're wrapping up our discussion today with uh, Dr. Jim Watson, who is the state veterinarian. He's been educating us about the serious threat that bird flu uh, presents to uh, Mississippi. Um, And I'm not sure, I think you might have mentioned this, but can bird flu be transmitted from birds to other animals?
1: At this point no uh, other than as i mentioned mammals that there's two exceptions to that one is mammals that feed on the carcasses of of birds that have died with avian influenza there is one exception to that and is the seal population uh, apparently has adapted Uh, to this new H They they have found off Nova Scotia and in South America, I think, a couple of populations of seals that aren't just exposed by eating uh, shorebirds that died from avian influenza, but they actually have adapted it and they're transmitting it within their population. Uh, But as far as we know, this virus does not get into and affect any other mammals that would allow them to to transmit the disease to to each other
2: we've got about a minute left i was wondering if you could kind of summarize for you've given us a lot of great information maybe if you could summarize for us kind of the the
1: takeaway points that you'd like listeners to leave the show with um i guess number one the 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 virus is is spread by migratory waterfowl ducks geese um, and, and so it 's out there in our environment it 's a it 's a little bit different from some of our other diseases and so it 's every it 's kind of everywhere this time of year where uh it, ducks are moving and flying up and down our waterways so um it 's not um, so anytime you 're out in that uh environment um, uh, where those those animals are and you have poultry you 've got to be careful and take uh, really good precautions before you go back to your farm if you're a poultry farmer or to your backyard to not be walking around because it's spread in that manure so it's just everywhere if you're in an environment and we have you know resident ducks and geese so it's just really important that when you're in those kind of environments where waterfowl are to to protect your poultry your chickens before you go back uh, to them.
2: Uh, and just a reminder, earlier in the show, Jim had called in trying to help identify something that he had seen. And we recommended, and we'll recommend to you. If you have something that you want to help be identified with, send us an email to animals at org. We'll make sure we figure out. Well, we'll try to figure out what it is for you and get back to you. So if you're looking for something, snap a picture of it, send it to us. We'll see if we can't help you out. Creature Comforts is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio, funding provided in part by listeners. To hear today's show or a previous show, you can visit creaturecomforts.mpbonline.org. Our show is produced by Java Chapman. Our call screener is Liz Gill. And the podcast producer for MPB Think Radio is Jermaine Flood. So for Libby Hartfield, Dr. Troy Major, and our guest, Dr. Jim Watson, I'm Kevin Farrell. Up next, it's AutoCorrect. We'll be back next Thursday at 9 with another Creature Comforts, heard only on MPB Think Radio.
0: This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.